This is Indigo Radio, deepening understanding and making connections. Indigo Radio is a project of the Spark Teacher Education Institute based out of Southern Vermont. And Indigo is now based out of Western Mass, Atlanta, where I am, Seattle, Morocco, and Southern Vermont. Today we air our annual Poetry Teaching and Hopes for the New Year show. Every year I ask Indigo hosts, Spark faculty, and Spark alum to be part of a show in which we share poetry and conversation. Today we have both original poems and poems that others have chosen that, that speak to this current moment. Big thanks to Derek Johnson, Katie Behan, Josh Wyman, Patrice Streifert, Kyra Swain, and Janaki Natarajan, who all joined together in conversation to record the show. We start with Spark alum and current teacher Derek Johnson, who is currently based in DC. Thanks for listening. We were just talking offline about some of the things that I've been doing in DC in the region is around food sovereignty and, and land sovereignty. I'm a part of my local community garden here. I just joined this organization um, that's working to improve just the food system for all people, but especially for black and brown people and finding and refinding um, a way to um, mobilize around food and land sovereignty. And I came across this poem by Elizabeth Pofo who is the general coordinator for Viva Campesina. And it's a long poem, so I'm not gonna read the whole entire poem. I'm gonna read the things that stick out for me and then I'll, I'll, I'll say why. And then anybody can chime in if anything resonates with, with you. The poem is entitled Climate Justice and Food Sovereignty Now. And I'm gonna read stanza three to stanza like five. Climate change knows no peace. Hungers for only for destruction. Greed for profit, feed him. Extreme, extreme weather phenomenon, his fruits. Environmental and humanitarian disasters, floods, droughts, landslides, disease. Humanity cries, no food. Nature cries, inhabitable, inhabitable. Is there a remedy? Yes, but we hear only false solutions. Free markets, red, climate smart agriculture, green economy, agrofuel, carbon trading, land grabbing, and more industrial farming, massive use of herbicides, inorganic fertilizers, and more GMOs. Oh Lord, all to grow climate change. Why? Profits, profits, more profits, Christ capitalism, his father. But hope looms in the horizon. Food sovereignty, our hope, come to restore social justice to humanity, ecological sustainability to nature, biodiversity and cultural diversity to all people of Mother Earth. Arise ye people, women and men, the landless, the peasant, the indigenous farmer, forest and fisher folk. Let your hope be heard in all the corners of the earth. I chose this poem because in those stanzas because it is the reality that we are all facing. Our world is changing around us and we're experiencing it. It's always changing, but we are experiencing in the time, I think, before no other that we can be aware of, of the way the climate has just been, the, the effects of climate change have affected everyone everywhere. And we all know why and understand why. And I think the brunt of us experience it on, on various levels. And we also have the ability to push back, even though we're faced with so much what we desire, what we want to see, what we know, what we know we need. And those are things like real biodiversity, real people only having ownership of their land, our workers not being exploited and our land not being exploited by mass agro mass farming and et cetera. And so like it's the first of the month <laughs> and you are and you know you like you know all these things, but you still have that bit of like this is what can be possible. This is what is possible. This is what has been before. This will be possible. Thank you, Derek. And Derek, could you just tell us, because you're a teacher, will you just tell us the age of the kids that you work with? And also, I'm curious around how you talk with them about climate. 
what, how are they feeling about it too? If you could talk about that. I'm currently teaching um, at an elementary school uh, in, in Washington, D.C., a public elementary school in Anacostia, which is, I want to say, Ward 7. Ward 7 is predominantly Black. It's across the river. Yeah, like any student who grows up in an urban area or rural area, they are their parents are faced with a lot of things. Their family is faced. They're faced with a lot of things, right? I just started to even learn the idea of a trauma-informed school, like what that even means because of like the violence that we're experiencing here in D.C., the lack of food, access to food in D.C. There was some money that was supposed to be put forward to SNAP benefits so that it would increase family SNAP benefits for maybe like a dollar and 50 cents. And this money was redirected to cover something else. So what I think I see more in my community is more what students are focused on is like food. I've experienced in my classroom just two days ago, um, there's a student in my classroom who um, is unhoused and this student is hungry, you know, because meals are only given so much at school. And so there's been a tendency within our, in our community where he has taken things from others because he needs them or he, he wants them, right? When my students talk, that's what they're really talking about. Like, where is my, where is the meal? To answer your question, we focus on food and, and how can we, what, what can we do within our own community? How can we like create a system? Like in, in our school, we started to create a system where, I don't know about other people's schools, but food just gets tossed in the trash can. Like literally it's just tossed in the trash can like lunch, breakfast, whatever, even if it's been unopened. So what we started on our floor was like a food bin, like literally in your classroom, if it's not sent, you don't have to send it back down to the cafeteria. It can go into a box and kids can either put it in their backpack or they can eat it when they're hungry. More likely than not, that's extra food they're gonna take home. And most times it's not for them, it's for like their younger brother or their younger sister. Derek, if I may say, it's important to remember that this has been the fate or the experience of DC for decades. And also the other day I was in a Springfield school where there were foods of, of bags of food in the principal's, you know, in the front office for children to take home. This was a few weeks ago. So what you're facing is every day in particular, but it's also nationwide. Absolutely, yeah. Anyone else have any thoughts or want to move to sharing theirs if it goes well after Derek's? I don't remember the entire phrase from the poem, but something about ecological, maybe towards the end. Ecological sustainability to nature. Yeah, okay, ecological sustainability to nature. That made me think of just how much in nature we can kind of look at in terms of how their relationships are between species or different parts of the ecosystem and how they can mutually benefit from different practices or structures within the environment and how can we think about how we engage with each other and the experiences that we create, whether they're mutually beneficial or not and sustainable as well, not only for us, but nature, you know, the whole world. It makes me think about too, like how working in a school, teachers and administrators see how many students and families like are food insecure and we give out bags of food and we have, you know, free lunch and free breakfast. Like they know that food insecurity is a concern for so many of our students and families. And yet I still feel the need to be extremely careful in my teaching to address like why hunger exists, because that would be seen as too political and you know, that's not my job. My job is just to teach social studies. I just find myself constantly straddling, like stuck between those two realities or like the science teachers, like 
we can teach our students that like climate change is real, but if we teach them why climate change is happening and, you know, who is benefiting from reaping and privatizing all these resources, that's not appropriate. That's not okay. That's, you know, overstepping our role as an educator. Does she say why? Why it's overstepping? I've never been like told explicitly, like that's an overstep. You can't teach that. But I feel like it's this unspoken rule that, you know, you're not there to like proselytize your political opinions and, you know, that it's overreaching. Like my job as an eighth grade social studies teacher is to teach ancient history. I just have to be more, I guess, vague isn't the right word, but I have to keep it. I have to be very careful to make sure that whatever I'm teaching, I can relate back to the state standards. The Sahara Desert and why it became a desert is a good place to begin about that also. Thank you. Right, like, so I'm teaching the Neolithic Revolution right now, which is like the foundation for all inequality, like the beginning of privatization and wealth inequality and privatizing food and land. And so we can tie that into today. But again, there's this like caution that I feel I have to utilize when talking about certain issues. Katie, do you want to share, just because we're on you, do you want to share what you brought today? I'm Katie Bian. I teach eighth grade social studies in Newport, Rhode Island. Um, and this poem is called All of Us Are None by Bertolt Brecht. Slave, who is it who shall free you? Those in deepest darkness lying. Comrade, those alone shall see you. They alone can hear you crying. Comrade, only slaves can free you. Everything or nothing, all of us or none. One alone, his lot can't better. Choose the gun or fetter. Everything or nothing, all of us or none. You who hunger, who shall feed you? If it's bread you would be carving, come to us, we too are starving. Come to us and let us lead you. Only hungry men can feed you. Everything or nothing, all of us or none. One alone, his lot can't better, choose the gun or fetter. Everything or nothing, all of us or none. Beaten man, who shall avenge you? You on whom the blows are falling. Hear our wounded brothers calling. Weakness gives us strength to lend you. Comrade, come, we shall avenge you. Everything or nothing, all of us or none. One alone, his lot can't better, choose the gun or fetter, everything or nothing, all of us or none. Who, O oh ruined man, shall dare it? He who can no longer bear it, counts the blows that arm his spirit, taught the time by need and sorrow, strikes today and not tomorrow. Everything or nothing, all of us or none. One alone, his lot can't better, choose the gun or fetter. Everything or nothing, all of us or none. I chose that one because it becomes increasingly more obvious to me year after year that the more that we look to or rely on the government or big tech or big pharma or billionaires to solve our problems, the more we're just going to continue to see an increase in the struggles people are trying to change. Like we have, you know, an election coming up and people are deciding whether or not to vote for one billionaire versus another multimillionaire or billionaire who have sat in office before and have overseen the displacement of 30,000 Palestinians now. And I see people having conversations and wanting to know where to look, you know, what is the answer? How can we stop the genocide of Palestinians? And how can we stop the food insecurity our students are facing? And how can we stop climate change? And it gets clearer to me every year that the only solution is through collective work 
and not relying on politicians or government or billionaires. Thanks, Katie. I had not heard that one, but I've, I've used his poems before. So thanks for bringing that. It's definitely one I've not heard of. Does anyone want to add, add anything to what Katie had said? Yeah, I'm there with you, Katie, in, in your thinking and how you're thinking about it. And I guess my only question is like, so what, you know, that quite age what do we do? <laughs> what do we do? Yeah, no, I guess I'm just, I'm, I'm yeah, I, I'm just saying that I agree. And I think that what helps me right now is to know that there are people in agreement with me throughout the world um, who have the same ideas about what we should do. I think that's what it is. That's my takeaway, that I'm not the only one. We're not the only ones. There's there's masses of people. Yeah. I've even like heard about people making these like, not go bags, but people like stockpiling for this supposed like inevitable, when people uh, like production failure of like people stockpiling like canned goods and stockpiling cash and weapons to prepare for, you know, this fall rather than like working on building community and knowing who lives in your neighborhood and making sure that, you know, were that to ever happen, we know that we can rely on one another to feed ourselves and protect ourselves and care for ourselves instead of this individualized way of thinking about the future. So yeah, like in the line, like only the hungry can feed you and knowing that like, yeah, the solution is only going to come from working together. And I think specifically within that working together, listening to those who have been oppressed within these systems, the hungry man is going to know how to feed you because they've been hungry. They know it from experience. The slave can free you because they put so much into freeing themselves from the oppressive system that they were forced into. Derek, I don't know if you or Katie saw the climate change march in New York City. I, I watched some of the coverage on Democracy Now! in September, but there were like tens of thousands of people and many, many young people. You know, you said there's so many people in the world doing work now. And I think that the the young woman, I can't remember her name now, but she was incredible. She was 16 and she got up and spoke and she talked about, I think, First Fridays and all of these young high school students meet and there's thousands of them every Friday to talk about what they're going to do and how they're going to move forward. So I was really inspired by that. I, I watched some of it in my classes and um, and of course, you know, there were a lot of, of young women the young woman from Uganda, I forget her name, she spoke incredibly. And she'd written a letter to Biden years ago. And then she reread it and said she could understand why I wasn't going to read it. And anyway, it was it was a very powerful experience in that way that you're saying, what do we do? What are, what are, what are people doing? And we're not we're not alone. Patrice, do you want to share what you brought? Oh, sure. Thank you, Katie. Yeah, thank you, Katie. My name is Patrice Stryford, and I am part of the Spark Teacher Education Group Collaborative and really happy to be here. And I also teach at Keene State a couple of classes, and I was preparing for my classes and that start in January, and I, I just ended up re-watching Edward Said's film Orientalism and his interview with Satjali. And... In that interview, one of the things that uh, came up was uh, he talked about a book that he had written, I think it was in 1992, um, The Question of Palestine. And so I I got the book out and rereading it and reading it again. And, um, and in the introduction, he spoke of a poet named Rashid, Rashid Hussein. And I had not heard of Rashid Hussein and Edward Said said that everything that he had learned about life in Palestinian villages after 1948, he had learned from this poet, 
Rashid Hussain, who died in, I think, 1977. And he was a Palestinian poet from Amusmus. I hope I said that correctly. And it was said in the in the look when I looked up um, his work that in the 1950s he believed in the possibility of a Jewish Palestinian coexistence. Um, he was a very angry poet. He was uh, fiercely critical of the violence and corruption that was happening in Israel's treatment of, of Palestinians. And he was eventually expelled from this organization that he was working with. It was a leftist group. And he was prevented from teaching anymore. Anyway, I looked him up and and one of his poems really spoke to me. So it, it, it's a new poet for me. I, I really am, am not had not been familiar with his work. Let me just read. Refugee God is the name of the poem. God has become a refugee, sir. So seize the prayer rugs from the mosque. Sell the church, which now belongs to someone else. Sell the muezzin on the black market. Light the wicks of stars so they might light the way for wanderers. Even the father of our orphans can't be found. Take them all away, sir. Don't apologize. Whoever said you're an oppressor? Don't get upset. Whoever said you're an aggressor? You are a liberator. You freed the grazing livestock in the morning when you gave Muhammad's field to Abraham. The horses on the hilltops run free. Perhaps you, most civilized master, should go near them so that they too can become your property. The land extends her greetings to you and its wheat. Thanks gathered in a field of gold. Did you not liberate her neck from the plower while the bull takes his rest at the manger? For you are justice itself and every tyrant craves that the morning of your justice comes with no tomorrow. You who murdered spring and killed my threshing floor, you are an anger that destroys all, an unextinguished revolution. Your hand sowed landmines throughout my gardens and exploded the rosy season of my almond orchards. You banished men from their homes so that it might be said, quote, most honorable ruler, end quote. You imprisoned men so that it might be said, most just master. You fashioned delegates so we might obey them. They are but slaves who weep for other slaves. You wanted me a slave so that I might be bought and sold. You wanted me desperate so that I might live without diversion. You call out, you are nothing but the scraps of a nation living scattered among caves. Stay put there. But you forget that untended coals are enough to start a fire, enough to light a path for others to follow. Don't get upset. These are words with no mouth to speak them. Don't be alarmed. These are words with no hand to throw them. And where did this land come from? Why does the soil burn with fire? How, sir, do you stand the flame of its furnace? And where did this wheat come from? How did you steal it? the grain made from our congealed tears. When I squeeze your bread in my fists, it is my own blood that flows. That was Rashid Hussein. That's powerful, amazing. Mm. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I personally, I ended up writing a little poem myself, which is not great, but I, I can share it. But I think about God and religion and how that has, for me, you know, made such a horrific impact in the world and, and in terms of patriarchy and the way that that has played out in so many religious practices. But the piece I think that connected well with what Derek talked about in the poem, which was about hope and about how I personally keep courage and hope going whether it's courage to speak about something in the classroom or courage to do the activist piece that feels hard or doesn't feel comfortable or I'm not sure about it. Do I have to always be sure? Do I have to always do the right thing? You know, there's that part of me personally that I feel like I'm grappling with. I don't know if it's, it, it happens in wintertime when the introspective season, that's part of what was going on for me. 
Yeah. The, the line I really loved in that was the one about Coles and I can't remember the line, but it stuck out to me. And it made me think about um, the importance of our ancestors and our like collective ancestors in struggle and how there's so much to learn, but it's like, I, I think it also can give us a lot of courage too. Oh, thanks, Kyra. Unintended coals are unintended mm. coals are enough to start a fire. Yeah, I really like that a lot. So sort of along with that idea, the line light a path for others to follow. That just really stuck out for me. I think in these times, it's I mean, certainly as teachers, what we do is we educate. And as humans, we kind of do that. We have to do that for each other too, I think. Just to find up that better way forward for ourselves, whether that's having our student, you know, our our kids fed or having them know about what's happening in the world or even just avoiding this violence. My poem's kind of similar. I'm happy to share it. I had selected this poem. I mean, I selected it for this reading because I, I came across it this past year as a lesson for to teach with my students. I happened to be out the day that I would planned it, but the sub sort of went with it anyways. And I talked to them after the next day and I, I feel like he got more out of it than the students did. He was kind of, he was really excited to talk to me about Darwish and tell me all the sorts of things he learned when he looked him up the night before. And so it was kind of struck me as this moment, like I said, you know, before his, his teachers were, were, this goes beyond our students, the sort of the work that we do. So I, I'll read it now. It's it's by uh, Mumu Darwish and it's called The Prison Cell. It is possible. It is possible at least sometimes it is possible, especially now, to ride a horse inside a prison cell and run away. It is possible for prison walls to disappear, for the cell to become a distant land without frontiers. What did you do to the walls? I gave them back to the rocks. And what did you do with the ceiling? I turned it into a saddle. And your chain? I turned it into a pencil. The prison guard got angry. He put an end to my dialogue. He said he didn't care for poetry and bolted the door of my cell. He came back to see me in the morning. He shouted at me. Where did all this water come from? I brought it from the Nile. And these trees from the orchards of Damascus and the music from my heartbeat. The prison guard got mad. He put an end to my dialogue. He said he didn't like my poetry and he bolted the door of my cell. But he returned in the evening. Where did this moon come from? From the nights of Baghdad. And the wine? From the vineyards of Algiers. And this freedom? From the chain you tied me with last night. The prison guard grew sad. He begged me to give him back his freedom. That was Mumu Darwish, uh, the prison cell. Yeah, I think also with this poem, I, I mean, where we are now at this point in history, I, in, in time, I think it's just, I really hope that we can find and hold on to the strength that we need to, to be able to find our collective freedom. And that's, I mean, that's going to take working through it and, and working together with one another to do that. But we have to with the way that things are organized currently, because it's tough out there and there's a better way forward for us. Thank you, Josh. Anyone have any thoughts or comments about that one? Where did that freedom come from? I think at the end, Josh, you know, that came from the change you tied me with. It says it. I think also uh, what resonated with me was also that Patrice, but the, the last part where he says, prison guard says, well, the poet says the prison guard wanted his freedom back. And how, isn't that the great, like, struggle amongst whomever? Like, someone sees their freedom through this, someone sees their freedom through that. And how do we unwrestle that? How do we unwrestle those two things? That's the unwrestling. I, I think that's such a beautiful, that line right there is like the question of all questions. It made me think. And it, it was like, it, it just connects back to what you wrote. Patrice, about the coals, the untended coals, like, you know, because coals are hot, like everybody has that thing. We, we can see how the world 
how we engage in the world, how we play our roles in the world. I have come to a point in time where I don't think anyone is blind in this moment severely about who and what they are and what and what their privilege allots them. I just think I'm 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 not at the space anymore where I don't feel like we know that. And we know what it stems from. We are just choosing to hold on to the chain. A lot of people are choosing to hold the chain because they see that there will be something lost if they allow someone else to be free. I thought like the first time around when like we were just thinking about like, okay, the dynamics of politics here in the United States and Trump, et cetera. I go, okay, yeah, people, they don't understand it. Why would they do that to themselves? It doesn't make any sense to me. Like why? Um, but now here we are a second go around. And if you were really to sit down with people who were the most, like they didn't receive any benefit. There are tons of people that did not receive any benefit from at most administrations, but definitely the Trump administration. No, not, not the mass of people who were supporting him, not the mass of people who were kind of like, oh, um, let me go ahead because I just don't know about her, Hillary. You can't, you can't not know. I just feel like we're, we're, people are tying themselves to a chain to keep a structure and they're afraid to see what will happen and what will come next. I'm not so I, convinced that people see because I think that, you know, I think that one example is why, how people learn or don't learn and what the forces are that make them not learn. How, if you've gone through the Holocaust, your grandparents, your parents, whoever, can you still use phosphorus a couple of generations later? What is it that is needed to learn? And the teaching done in Israeli schools, which I became aware of when I was 19, is powerful stuff about being chosen and about the denigration of the other. I think those powerful forces against us as what we have to acknowledge, the power of that. Of course, this whole program is dedicated to the memory of Dr. Martin Luther King. You know that, anyway. Once upon this planet Earth lived a man of humble birth preaching love and freedom for his fellow man. He was dreaming of the day peace would come to earth to stay. And he spread this message all across the land. Turn the other cheek, he'd bleed. Love thy neighbor was his creed. Pain, humiliation, death, he did not dread. With his Bible at his side, from his foes he did not hide It's hard to think That this great man Is dead Oh yeah Well the murders Never cease Are they men or are they beasts? What do they ever hope Ever hope to gain Will my country Fall, stand or fall 
Jonaki and who would like to go next to share and then Patrice I would love to come back to you later and anyone else too that maybe wrote something if they have a poem to share so I don't I still want to get that Patrice but Kyra or Jonaki whoever would like to go next so my name is Kyra I am currently in Vermont and I'm teaching adults a couple classes in the community and I wrote, well, before I read what I wrote, I have been listening to music a lot to kind of look for ways that people are reflecting on the world. I think that plenty of people over time have critiqued the world or things that are happening through their music or their art. And so in my poem, I reference two songs specifically that have reflected the times. Um, so yeah, accountability, footsteps of stability, roots and quicksand aware, the entire strand of hair. What do you do it for when the rest of the world is falling through the floor? Rich man keeps getting richer, taking from the poor. No more, no more business as usual. No more oppression or occupation worldwide. No more colonialism, no more state sanctioned violence, genocide, slavery, death, rape, hunger, homelessness, prisons, surveillance. They got money for wars, but can't feed the poor. We ain't meant to survive because it's a setup. The war machine running on rape of land and people, manufacturing the missiles, miseducated manpower and media here. The repetition of the American war also known as the Vietnam War, the Nakba, Hiroshima, Jim Crow, the Trail of Tears. They cry out, Sudan, Haiti, Hawaii, Congo, Yemen, Tigre, Puerto Rico, Lebanon, Palestine, Iraq, Rwanda, Sri Lanka, worldwide, liberation and resistance. Freedom is a constant struggle. The struggle will continue because we will continue to resist in every way under the sun. The sun will continue to illuminate the history of resistance. And under it, we need to keep resisting worldwide together and for each other no matter the risk. Breathe life into each other, into yourself, in the backdrop of consumption, resting on the exploitation of people around the world. In the face of year four of a global pandemic, denied to continue consumption and business as usual. In the midst of multiple ongoing genocides, for the control of land, resources, and people for further exploits. Life is necessary. For life to be grown in the landscape of violence escalating everywhere. They lynch and bury us. They bomb and bury us. They forget that we are seeds. Keep the spirit of freedom alive. Grow wherever you are on this earth. Shed the skin. No more amnesia, alienation, 
No need to let these things get stuck in the fold of your brain. Have them all wiggle their way out, down the rabbit hole, to enter the realm beyond the folds. Nooks and crannies too small encasing, expanding, exhaling, connections past and global, the fabric interwoven, systems of violence, death, destruction, the constellations, they grow and grow and grow. Dialogue aloud, go and go and go. Resistance is alive in the pages of it all. Keeping the pen writing, fingers typing, connections growing. Creation, roots and inspiration from documentation of the times. What does the sun do it for? What do the trees do it for? What do you do it for? It's beautiful. Kyra, Kyra did you hear a title to your poem? I did not. Um, yeah, I don't know yet. I oh. guess 2020, my hopes for 2024. <laughs> <laughs> what do you feel um, or think, Kyra, you're in Brattleboro, whether it's like your work or organizing that you're doing or that's happening there. Are there things that are hopeful to you or things that we need to push or get behind? I think definitely the homeless community here because it's been growing, I think. And the winters are definitely like, I mean, it's, I don't know how many inches it snowed yesterday, but it snowed a lot yesterday and it's only getting colder. And I think it's just been difficult, the cost of living just continuing to, to increase. And I think there's also been a lot of people trying to organize around Palestine, a lot of um, different demonstrations. So I hope that we can bring in more efforts around material changes. Anyone else have any thoughts for Kyra or from Kyra's poem? Patrice, you have something? Yeah, Kyra, I love the, I, I think I got it right here. We will resist in every way under the sun and we'll breathe or for each other. We will breathe life into each other and into yourself or something like that, I, I think. I mean, it's like tonight, it breathes. I feel that breath in a different way just from being here and I, I think the, that you added for yourself, there's also, it has to come from yourself too. It's beautiful. I think that like with how we interact with each other, I think that all of the levels to society to be fluid in the work that we're doing, uh, to really investigate ourselves at each of those levels. I think how how we engage, you know, is important because you know there's so much that we can internalize about ourselves and and in turn and I think that that's somewhat connected to what you were saying Derek about our ideas of ourselves and and what our actions mean for for ourselves and what they mean for other people we're all connected it's it's all relationships this world if I if I act differently if I align myself differently that from some of these statuses or, or roles in society, am I just in love with the idea of myself, you know, is it, or the idea of, of this status or this role in society, or is it me? Is it attached to me or not? Thanks, Kyra. Janaki, I'm going to pass it over to you. If you would introduce yourself and then tell us what you have for us. Um, my name is Janaki, and uh, I'm part of the Spark Teacher Education Group. We're primarily trying both in the classroom and the street to teach about the history and the oneness of humans and nature. But I've been preoccupied the last few days uh, about how we learn and how we don't learn from human experience. 
and what it takes. And the images that we don't have about others, which will prevent us from killing them and from naming them and from torturing. And there's been no year in my life of the last eight decades and more when there has not been a war. And as we know, millions have been killed in the Second World War, but also in the Korean War and the Vietnam War and Cambodia and Laos, millions. And now we are facing 30,000 being killed in our presence, children and so, so on as we know. So this sort of comes out of that thinking about defeat because the struggles have been going on since then under the same sun that you mentioned, Cairo. And those struggles have, well, is it defeat? So is it defeat now? So I wrote a few things that might be of use. Comfort of defeat. To rest on the oars in immense seas, face in the mud, their feet on neck. Why not? Plot revenge, hot and cold. Sue them, pay the lawyers. Our young are losing faith, suffocated by stench of frustrated dreams of quick material wealth. Martin, hear a cry, hear my letter, asking how to gain a new world. What a mess, Dr. King, as we remember you once in a while, you understood. There is no black man struggle, mine, yours, and theirs. I'm not a fish on a hook, hooked, twisting, turning, even the pain unfelt, no escaping. Why do we only squirm and twist and turn like that? Speared anteater I saw once in the Liberian green, red on the sand. You, not just twisting, turning in pain, speared human. Remembering, knowing, reflecting, history changed. The signposts are writ large, read, rewrite, follow, and not follow to our future. Come with me fearlessly, fearful one, learning, changing, filling the void, give way. The path is an old one, a new one. Some say life is a kaleidoscope. It is not so. Afflict wrist patterns seem to change. Some say patterns cannot change. It is not so. Break the kaleidoscope. It is but bored with bits of glass. Make a prism. See the light shine through. Myriad shafts radiate. Recreate. Tender. This is life. Thank you, Janaki, for that. The first part of that made me think a lot about, I, I can't remember the line, so maybe you can say it a bit, um, the comfort of defeat. Was it something like, yeah. Comfort of defeat. Yeah. We're comforted that we're defeated. We don't yeah. have to do anymore. It makes, yeah, that really makes me think a lot, actually, of the the comfort of just, it. it, it is what it is. People say that, right? Like, that comfort people can sit in their homes and not do anything, especially when it is not, you don't feel like on your everyday life, it's affecting you. Like it's, it's a privilege to not engage, to, to be able to just disconnect because it's not happening to you. And so it's like not reflecting on your own actions and how well if I do go to Starbucks you know if I if I do get the new iPhone 15 how is that impacting the children in Congo who are mining the cobalt that's used for that phone and and if I do go to Starbucks how is that impacting 
the Palestinians who are being bombed by the Israeli military, which is supported by Starbucks. It's so disconnected from, I think, people's day-to-day, those connections that are actually there. So I would just like to bring us back to Josh's poem. This is what I was trying to articulate. And maybe my example is not was not this the best, but this is what I'm saying. I'm saying that there are people, we we are aware of certain things. We know the prisoner sitting in the in the cell, and I'm the I'm the prison guard. My livelihood is attached to his imprisonment. And as much as I know this and as much as this might anger me and as much as this I may have people in my family who understand that I'm still the prison guard you know the the whole point that I took away from Josh's poem is that the chain is attached from from person to well not per, I don't want to say person to person but it's attached there's an attachment and there is in the destruction of that chain is this metaphorical chain is this idea of uh, liberation on either side, but I'm holding on to because I feel like I, if I don't hold on to this, then I will not be free. It's the same about Starbucks. Like I struggle with this myself. Most recently, I'm I'm driving to work. It's convenient, but I know. Can I curse damn well that um <laughs> that I should not be stopping at Starbucks like delete the app off my phone and everything like and then it's the level of convenience and then but i know that starbucks is supporting the destruction of a whole entire group of people it's the conundrum that we find ourselves in when we are aware of certain things and our participation and our upholding it and is that why? Because I put myself before or do I not believe in this idea of liberation? It's just a whole thing that I've been thinking about myself. I have a couple of thoughts. One of the, I feel like the key, one of the key things I feel like you just said was when we are aware of certain things and it kind of goes back to the, the past conversation is how do we, and this is a question for us as educators, is how do we learn? And what do we learn and what do we don't learn? Because what I was thinking back to this like prisoner and guard, I was deeply taught that if someone was imprisoned, they deserve to be there. They did something wrong. They deserve to be there. I was never taught to question why. I was never taught to question why are there disproportionate black men in prison? Until I had a teacher that gave me the tools to think and then to also bring in history. And so I would guess that many people do not know the link between, say, Starbucks. I would guess that many people don't know that we give money to Israel. These would be my guesses around like, what are people actually aware of and what are they taught and not taught? Like, and I always use this example of, I was never taught anything about Palestine growing up. And so where, where does it happen for me that it, it clicks or change or starts to change? And then, yeah, I would agree with you then Derek too, around the conundrum of like, when we become aware of things, what do we do now? How do you change consciousness? Just by teaching, by saying, it's all in the head? No, it's in the material basis. And that's the problem of consciousness, isn't it? Well, it's also your comfort of defeat. And you're not the, was it, you're not the fish on a, on a hook? It's that, right? What Derek's talking, I mean, it, it's the, some say that patterns can't change. Was your line? And and the kaleidoscope, I, I think I got, I was starting to get it, how that, what's fearful about that light or or what we think of as light. The, and, and the last piece you said was recreate. And, and then I, I forget the one right after that, but you can't do that, like you say, without a, a change in that pattern. Without breaking the glass, the kaleidoscope and seeing but, it's just bits and pieces. 
Please cardboard and breaking the kaleidoscope. It's, a class. it's hard stuff. I'm so grateful to Anna for bringing us all together. Patrice, I want it just before we all scatter. I know it's getting late and we're all teachers and things. <laughs> Patrice, did you want to share? You had written a poem. I just want to make sure anyone that had written something or wanted to share something else gets that chance. Um, following Johnny, because mine was about patterns. How do I get rid of the patterns in my neurons? Was that was that if only I could expel the old imprinted ideas so firmly tied in my neurons was the first line of the poem. <laughs> I've burned the pictures, I've burned the books, I've burned the memories, I've burnt they've gone up to the smoke and the clouds. Oh, for a moment, if I could just feel that pull to liberation to something entirely new. Anyway, it's still a work in progress, but it's jumping That's off great. the back, jumping off the back of fear. I mean, it's similar, um, that familiar fear, the familiar fear that we just jump right on the back of. And it leads to fatigue and worry and endless trying to figure it out. In in the long run, the, the poem was about love. How do I love more deeply into these situations um, that are so challenging? So anyway, it's, it's not finished, but the, the last part was you're floating on the river and, you know, the sun's out and you're just like, la, la, la. And out of nowhere, that magnet, the neurons, you know, and I say, no, 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 no. Oh, no, please have courage, have love. You are love. And I do love all of you. And I am so grateful for you doing this, Anna. Thanks. Yes, thank you, Anna. Yeah, thank you. That does it for Indigo Radio. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening. And we're going to go out today with By the Time I Get to Arizona by Public Enemy. It was a direct reply in 1991 to Arizona officials for rejecting the federal holiday celebrating Martin Luther King Jr. And we dedicate this show to the memory of Martin Luther King.
I pray, I pray every day I do embrace out of maker. Looking for culture, I got my not people to make Pushing and shaking the structure, bringing down a Babylon. Here in the circle, I make it hard for the proud. The hard full of what I need it now. More than ever now, who's sitting on my freedom oppressor? People beat her. A piece of the pick, we picked a piece of the land we're serving now. Reparation, a piece of the nation, damn, we got the nerve. Another nigga they say and classify, we want too much. My people plus the nine is mine, don't think I even double dutch. Here's the brother, my attitude is here, I'm hang up high. I'm blowing up the 90s, started ticking in 86. When the sign get a mind, better start fearing while we singing now. There will be the day we know who's down and who will go, 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 go. By the time I get to Arizona, by the time I get.